Hi, my name is Christian Gladue with the, the Bungalow Company. Today we'll be having another in our series of Google Hangouts. Uh, today's guest is Trevin, Trevin Dewey from uh, Dewey Brothers Construction. Uh, Trevin and I have been uh, working on several custom bungalow projects in Central Oregon. And um, today we were just going to run through uh, some of the, a brief discussion about you know, how to go about pricing a new custom home and um, uh, some of the steps along the way that can make you uh, reach, reach your budget and not make the construction process uh, an arduous process. Welcome, Trevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I'd like to start with is um, kind of defining two different processes. We have, um, at our company, we have um, two different kinds of plans. We basically have a stock set of plans, which is a pre-designed plan that you can purchase. Um, it's been built before. There are full documentation, um, everything you need to, to build the house. The second um, does part of the design process we have is like a full custom design. The difference between these two is one is starting from scratch, the other is starting from um, this pre-designed uh, pre house. Uh, stock plan in our office is you know around a couple thousand dollars. A full custom design, you know, starts you know fifteen to twenty thousand um, dollars. One of the one of the services the stock plans do provide is we have a um, a study set which can be purchased for seven to eight hundred dollars. Um, and what's nice about that is it is a it's a document that a builder like Trevin uh, can estimate from the beginning before you go into spending you know twenty thousand dollars worth of design. Um, currently, uh, Trevin and I have two projects. One is a full custom and one is uh, one we're working from st from the stock plan. There's a lot of uh, a lot of benefit time-wise to, to working with the stock plan and, and also fee-wise. So uh, that's kind of how we're going to base this conversation base this conversation today. Um, so Trevin, when you um, maybe we could start with some questions around um, hiring a, a custom builder. We have a, a piece that we um, forward people oftentimes uh, about choosing a custom builder. And um, one of the big questions that comes up for us is really, um, you know, how do you do, how do you really know what what it's going to cost? My feeling is is that we spend a lot of time, um, you spend a lot of time estimating these plans. So we encourage people to hire interview builders and hire a builder um, to do a, a full estimate of the project. We encourage people to pay for that as well because we all know um, it isn't. Uh, it doesn't take. Uh, it takes a lot of time to do these processes. I wonder if you could maybe speak a little bit to kind of the the time required for you guys to do an estimate. Well, in order to do an estimate correctly and get accurate estimates and accurate cost for the whole project, it does require quite a bit of time to do it correctly. Uh, the deposit and getting a contractor hired beforehand, it really helps in the fact that it establishes the owner and client relationship and it, it brings the builder on as part of the team and enables us to go through and get the bids necessary and put the work into the project that it takes to actually get an accurate estimate. Uh, cost per square foot is, a, is, I guess, a hard thing to nail down without having without going through the whole process and in order to actually get a solid bid and solid pricing on a project it, it takes a fair amount of time and by by getting a builder on board ahead of time we're able to go shop multiple suppliers and subcontractors and bring people in 
and get pricing that's competitive for the market at that particular time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the uh, the cost per square foot is always an interesting conversation. Um, I don't know that there's a better way to start the conversation, but I think um, what we really have come to, I think in both of those projects we're discussing is um, it's as much about complexity um, and level of finish um, when it comes to uh, creating creating a budget for the project. Um, we, we get a lot of telephone calls where we hear people say, um, oh, what's it cost to build your houses per foot? And you know, I mean, I always use the analogy, it's kind of like, what does your car cost per pound? It really depends what's included. Has it got power windows? Has it got, has it got you know, four-wheel drive? Has it got these pieces? I feel like um, you know, people in establishing a budget, you know, it's one way to, uh, to establish it is to say, you know, we've got $200 a square foot. Um, the thing I feel like is deceptive is that um, a kitchen is not $200 a square foot. You know, if you're really it's probably four hundred dollars a square foot, and the and the uh, you know the living rooms maybe two hundred dollars a square foot. Um, so I've, I've kind of feel like you know once we get beyond establishing a budget that they can afford, um, it kind of takes you and I working together to get there. Um, I think that Conti's uh, project would be a good example of that, and also the Wolf project that that we're working on, where um, everybody has a list of desires and needs and. Um, maybe you could give some examples of how we, um, some of the type of things we would do to work to the budget. Yeah. And, and, you know, it comes down to level of customization that each person wants in their home. Uh, you know, you can, you can start out with a ballpark cost per square foot and say, okay, yeah, you can do it for X amount or we can do it for X amount more. What it really comes down to is defining the parameters by which you're establishing that cost per square foot because there's a lot of things that go into each individual project that really make it difficult to nail that down unless you go through the process that it takes to know what the clients really value and what maybe they value a little bit less and, and to put a label on each individual person and what they want it's really hard and that's where the discrepancy comes with cost per square foot because if uh, you're, you're putting I, I guess it comes down to you can't really decide for a person what they value and what they want to put into a home without actually going through that process and, and having discussions and specking a house accordingly uh, you know another big thing that that goes into the costs of a home that really is hard to nail down until you actually go through the process is the site constraints, uh, the site conditions, the amount of rock hammering, uh, and also the you know the way that the house is going to sit on the lot and CCNRs, which may require certain time of exterior, certain type of exterior detail versus another. So that being said, it is it is a very slippery. <laughs> subject getting into you know just saying you can build something for x amount of square foot because in the end you need to have this the houses are all customized for the individual owners and, and by putting one everybody into one box saying this is going to be perfect for everybody it's just it's just not possible yeah and, and i think you know i think that's so true i mean and and what is covered when people look at an estimate i think the um they want to know what's covered in that i mean the things i usually see uh, in our business, if the, if it sounds too good to be true, <laughs> it usually is, and it's usually um, 
allowances that are inadequately applied to the project. Um, I would say that uh, our bungalow company um, study sets are they, there's pretty much everything you need to get from you know a flat site all the way to drywall. Um, we have interior details, which can kind of give you a direction for some trim profiles, but really there's still like tile, flooring, cabinets, countertops, all these hard surfaces um, that still need to be applied. Uh, if a build, you know, the builder and the designer working together to sort out, like you say, what the client's expectations are, uh, finishes are, is a very crucial part of the project. Um, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I would say on um, some of these projects, I would say that by the time we get to drywall, assuming a fairly straightforward site, it's probably somewhere between a third and a half of the money goes to the interior finishes. Agreed. And, yeah. and that is the benefit of, of going through the full process of putting these costs together because, yeah, the, the – the plans themselves, they do a good job on the structural and they can itemize a lot of details for the exterior. But when it comes down to specific products for finishes, the cost can vary so much. And, and having assumptions of what you're going to put into the house and then having that be a different deal after you get all the way into the process, I, I guess that just doesn't ever sit well with anybody. Right. I mean, I think um, no, note to the consumer. Um, really, the uh, the reality of this is that if you look at if you're looking at estimates apples to apples, really, um, you know, windows, doors, framing, all that stuff's pretty straightforward for the builder to estimate. I mean, granted, they have to do their homework, but where you'll see the difference um, and where you have to ask the questions is really at the allowance stage. And the majority of places that we see allowances are on the interior finishes if they have not been selected prior to bidding. Um, the builder and or the builder and designer will work together to establish these. What can happen is that um, a builder might say, hey, these people said $200 a foot. And so they'll, they'll, they have everything they need to do a really good job estimating the, the house right up to drywall. But with lack of information and working to the budget, sometimes you'll see um, inadequate allowances. And I think this is uh, something that backfires in, in custom builds a lot. Um, People need to understand that um, really the plans and the specifications become part of the construction contract. If it's not on the plans or in the specifications, you're probably not going to get it, right? Yeah, you're, uh, <laughs> you're again, you're speaking to the, the, the upfront work and the process before the, beforehand. Nailing down the exact cost, it really does take working together with the architect, the owners, and the builder and going through this whole process and, and defining, okay, this is our, our best case scenario. This is what we'd like in this finish. These are alternatives. And, you know, if you hire a builder to do this, you should be able to get a detailed cost breakdown with your, your A choice and then alternatives, A, B, C, and D. And then at that point, you're able to go through this, this breakdown and be able to customize this to your guys, to the, to the owner's desires, and then also to the budget. And then in result, you can tailor the cost with specifications and finishes to meet everybody's desires. And, and you know, by, by not doing the process beforehand, you are left with a whole lot of unknowns and lump sums and allowances. 
and you're, it's just a, a way you kind of set yourself up for, for having problems as you go down the road. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely true. And I think that um, the other thing that we see a lot of times in the office is people will come back with estimates. Um, realistically, um, a, a really comprehensive um, construction estimate will contain hundreds of line items. Um, it's not uncommon um, to get uh, someone to bring a bid back where it sounds too good to be true and there's 10 items on it. Um, I wonder if you could speak to the kind of time and energy it takes and maybe even the quantity of people you need to talk to to, to, create, a, um, to create a really cohesive estimate. In, in order to do the job properly and to present a breakdown, an as, a cost estimate for a project, you're probably talking to somewhere in the neighborhood, 30 people and getting bids from several different contractors from each specific trade, it's about a two-week process. You know, mm -hmm. uh, by the time it's all said and done, and when things all get put together, you're putting a substantial amount of time into yeah. it to get this done. We also notice that you know that estimating process often brings up a good list of questions too. I mean, the plans are as thorough as they can be. But um, if we hear the same question from the subcontractor, from the builder, you know, sometimes um, it is an opportunity for us to clarify, go back and either get a, you know, make sure the bid's covered. But sometimes uh, people will have padded things because the there was unclear unclear information. So I think yeah. that that's a really good, you know, it's part of the collaborative, and that's how we like to think about it. We like to have a, a builder. You choose a builder. You work with them. We are on the same team. We are. All you know, advocates. Yeah, and you know, and it does give us an opportunity to identify any areas within the plan that may yield a little bit higher cost, and maybe there's some alternative ways to put this together. And by by enabling us to go through the full process and get several subcontractors and suppliers to get their eyes on this, it enables us to kind of harness the wealth of knowledge that each individual person in their trade or their their what they're supplying based on fluctuations in the market or different assemblies that may need to be altered and we can yield a little bit of savings and, and without compromising the design and you know just it really kind of brings together a collaborative effort to identify hey we've done this thing right we, we know that every single system in this house has been put together and designed to the best of our knowledge and to the best of the market is doing right now too. Yeah, that makes sense. If you had um, if you had a top five list of um, things that people could do to, um, I don't even know if it's save money, but if it's if it were a top five list of things to help control the budget, or um, what what would you what would you say to our to our listeners? Top five. Three. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, I guess I would say listen uh, listen to suppliers and subcontractors and your builder about products to put in to the to the structure and to the house. And I guess listen to the wealth of knowledge of the people that you're bringing in to work with you on this project. Uh, to itemize your best case scenario, like as far as your finishes and how you want this to look and, and what products you want to put into the, the house, know what you want, but also have 
a couple other options as far as maybe a little bit lower cost. I guess identify alternatives of, of products you would want to put in your house or finishes mm -hmm. that you'd like to do that, that would be acceptable. And that would allow us to tailor the, the pricing more to you and help us to, to hit a budget if say your number one choice is you know over the budget or it's not going to help us hit where we need to hit okay. um, three i i would say be open to alternatives um mm -hmm. be i guess keep an open mind to the different products that would be able to be brought to the table by different people within the business yeah i mean it's kind of i mean it's interesting we a lot of times we'll see uh uh, a client start to step in and um, bring in cost-saving measures, be doing some of their own research, which you know it's good for them to encourage. But um, at the same, in the same breath, it's like if you're working someplace, uh, you know, every every area has its unique thing. If you're working in uh, Central Oregon, like we are on some of our projects, um, you know, you need to know that you can one get the product there and also get it serviced and maintained there. Uh, bringing bringing uh, very unique. Um, um, and uh, high maintenance materials to to you know a, a tough climate like this doesn't always make a lot of sense. It looks like it will save money on paper, but I think to your point, um, you know, trusting the guys that are out there working with it every day, um, who have the experience of uh, how this stuff lasts, is, is super is super important. Yeah, and and you maybe not so much speaking to price, but but you know one of the main considerations is is as a home buyer or wanting to build a home do your due diligence on builders uh, mm -hmm. figure out who you're interested in working with and, and an architect a lot of time has has that short list of people that he works with a lot and then do your own due diligence uh, interview with several builders get a list of references check those references request a, a, a sample of a cost breakdown just know what you're going to get from the builder and, and ultimately you're working with them for over a year and that's a big a big deal you got to be compatible uh, as far yeah. as personalities and knowing that that who you hire you're going to be able to work with and they're going to produce what you want them to produce and and the, the only way to do that is do that front work and check references and call them and, and ask those tough questions that you know maybe aren't so easy to ask and ask them of the builder and if they have a problem answering them that may, may be an issue, and and that would probably be one of the biggest things that I. Would say. Yeah, no, that make, that makes sense, and I think that um, I think that point that you're going to be working together. I mean, w once the plans are done, and you know if they're done well, you're going to be working with the builder a lot more than you're going to be working with the designer or the architect. So I think it is really important that that communication is clear, and that's a really good question for owners uh, for owners to ask. Uh, past clients, like what was their line of communication and also um, what was the level of supervision on the jobs? I mean, I think this is one of the places that where you guys are really elevated compared to the majority of your competition here in Central Oregon is that you have on-site guys swinging the hammer, on-site guys. I mean, everybody in your crew is, is um, you know, works for the betterment of the project and that is totally evident when you come onto one of your job sites. and. Those those sites are never left alone, and I think that that's a, I mean there's a, there's a lot of value in that, and I think that um, that's a question that people don't often ask is like how is uh, two questions well how is the job managed I mean is it 
a cell phone guy that rolls by there, you know, a guy in a pickup truck with a cell phone that rolls by once a day, or is there actually somebody on the job um, with the ability to make decisions and report back to you guys that, that um, is on the same team? Uh, I think that, you know, and how that's structured for fee. I know that there's several um, in the construction contracts we see, sometimes it's part of the overall percentage of construction, and other times there's an additional fee for that uh, for that kind of work. So that's a, another good thing for um, the consumer to be asking because it can add up. You know, if it's like, yeah, you know, here's the price for the job. Oh, plus in the fine print, it's fifty-five dollars an hour uh, management time. That's not included in the in the contract. You know, I think everyone needs to be clear about what they're getting. Agreed. And you know, another big deal is go see the houses. Go see mm -hmm. what the builders you're considering. Take a look at what they've built. Take a look at what they are building. And craftsmanship shows through, and it's something that's not easily quantifiable until you walk through the house mm -hmm. and see what they've done. You know, and people can, you know, past clients, they can have a good experience and they can, there's just a whole lot of things that got to come into place. And usually by the time you go through your process, the right choice is going to, going to be evident by the time you do your own process. And, you know, it, it, there is a lot to be said for walking through a house, putting your hand on the trim, taking a look at how the, the house is built, how it's holding up. And not necessarily just a brand new house. If you've got a house that they've built that's, say, five years old, ten years old, mm -hmm. if you can go see those, that's pretty evident of the craftsmanship and, and what's been put into this. And if the products that were used and the procedures were used, it's got to hold up. So, the, you know, that's that's a big thing. Yeah, no, that, that's for sure. And I think the other thing that kind of ties into this, too, is um, in, in my side of the industry, on the design side, um, one of the traps we often see is that um, – people will listen to the design professional around cost. Um, and this is a really dangerous thing. They say my designer or my architect says that we can build this for so much a square foot. Um, and that's all that, that is a, I think we have a, I think we have a general idea and a general range of maybe the projects we've done last, but I really feel like we have to look at every project specifically. And, um, you know, since we're not signing our name on the construction contract, it's really not our business to quote prices. Um, so I really feel like that working with the builder um, and not uh, not you know and going through the process of of making changes in the design sometimes to meet the budget is a really important thing. You can spend all of the, you can spend all the money on design and have um, nothing to show for it but a set of plans unless you've had the builder engaged in the process going through the plans. I mean I'm thinking of when we did the Wadsworth project. I remember one morning I, we were looking at the different roof things and. Uh, different roof options, metal, comp, all this stuff, fascia. And uh, we were sitting in a, a meeting and you uh, you said, I'll take a look at that. And you emailed me an hour later with like, okay, it's going to be this much per square foot more for metal. It's going to be this much per square foot more for uh, um, for uh, metal fascia or linear foot for fascia. And we were able to make some decisions on that project. And and we could, we could tell the client that and move forward with that. And they were on board, not just a surprise, hey, it's, you know, hundred thousand dollars over budget. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we were, I, I think that really embracing the collaborative is uh, between the design design and building is the only way to get these houses built. Um, nobody wants to draw a set of plans that they don't get built. Nobody wants to buy a set of plans that aren't going to get built and nobody wants to estimate one. So, you know, for the consumer really leaning into the idea that, 
you have this design, you have this general sense of what this is going to be and understanding that it's going to be a negotiation and a, and a process to, to get what you want. And spending more money also doesn't always make the project better. I, mean, I think especially with some of the, um, some of the bungalows that we do, I, you know, sometimes it's less is more in terms of what you actually, you know, what you actually put in the houses, you know, a simple trim detail, uh, you know, you know, straightforward colors, you know, good standard windows, things like that, that kind of help make those somewhat, um, somewhat affordable. Yeah. And, you know, the big thing on our end of it is, is putting in products that work well in the climate yeah. that we live in. And only a builder who builds in that specific climate that has experience with homes can have that type of experience to say, hey, we need to put this product on the exterior of the house instead of an alternative maybe a less expensive alternative and that's you know it's kind of another one speaking to a cost per square foot and how it how it can be a kind of a tough target to hit just because by the time you go through and make all those decisions and listening to your architect listening to your builder and saying okay this is what we can do and, and here's your options so say your your exterior trim can be x amount of money for this product that's a little bit inferior yes it's going to get by code it's going to look really good through the warranty period of the contractor but in 10 years down the road you want to know that you made that decision to put the right product in and you're still not having problems with it and it's 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 looking good and performing well far beyond the warranty period or far beyond uh, your expectations and, and those are the decisions that need to be made throughout the process and maybe maybe it's a case where if you're building your home you don't value that you can say put a lesser grade of paint because it's going to save a few thousand dollars. But I guess the whole point is, is to have that information in front of you, know what the costs are, know what the trade-offs are and have a builder that's willing to explain these things to you and, and help you to make the best decisions possible. So you're happy with your purchase for years down the road and, and you have no, no regrets. Right. So another thing I'm kind of interested in is um, when you do an estimate, um, how how long are these bids good for usually? By the time you do the estimate and you're gonna and, and everyone agrees on the price, how um how long how long do the uh, subcontractors and suppliers usually um, uh, hold that pricing? Well, the fine print on a lot of bids, you know, is a lot of times thirty days, sixty days. I, I guess the reality of it is is usually in a building cycle. I mean, when you when you approach a subcontractor or supplier and okay we get a price for the work that needs to happen with the expectation say it's going to be starting in six months or 12 months for the most part for the 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 building cycle that you've determined that hey this project's going to happen and that's typically how the project how the pricing stays good for uh as far as say you know i know lumber is a big one that fluctuates a lot it's it's up and down and it's really hard to it's really hard to predict where that'll go one thing that we like to do is is say we get the project moving forward but there are certain products that tend to be a little more volatile and they and you're not too sure where where they're going to be you know say you break ground six months down the road you don't, you don't need the product for, for like another six months that's one instance where it makes sense where okay, well, we want to make sure the pricing gets held as, as close to what our original bid was as possible. So there are certain products, sheet goods for one example, uh, your, floor your floor sheeting, roof sheeting, wall sheeting, 
that type of stuff has a long shelf life. It is very volatile. And in that case, what we'll do is we'll, we'll talk to our suppliers and say, hey, all right, we're, run, we're under construction and we want to buy this chunk of product. We don't need it for another six months, but we want to buy it when it looks like the, the market's going to be working for us the best. And that's, that's one of the things that, that helps us to avoid a lot of these, these overages as mm-hmm. prices fluctuate. But, but as a rule, subcontractors, some subcontractors pricing not necessarily affected by the commodities that they're supplying. It, it's usually good for the building cycle or the, the time frame that you're expected to build in. You know, if you go too far out past, you know, six, eight months at that point, you really need to go through and verify the pricing with, and, and sometimes all that takes is a phone call and, or an email and say, Hey, all right, we still good on this. And uh, as a rule that people don't make money unless they work. And <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's a constantly fluctuating deal, but that's another uh, speaks to another reason to hire competent and well respected and trusted subcontractors and suppliers. Yeah. So here's um, here's another question too. When you go to do um, when you get this set of plans, initial set of plans, and you come up with an estimate, um, is there a specific type of contract that you recommend an owner sign to before they're signing a contract for the full construction, like for this pre-construction stuff? Is there is there a way you guys like to go about that? So uh, as a rule, we'll take a a down payment, uh, a pre-construction deposit, essentially for basically initiating the, the relationship between the owner and the builder. And, and basically what that does is that gets us on board for, okay, so we're blocking out a time frame to build your home based on, on what the parameters of the project are. Uh, that deposit, typically about $5,000, mm-hmm. is a refundable deposit. Basically, it's, it's an advance on the overhead and profit fees for the job. So basically, it engages us. It knows that, okay, these uh, we're serious. Uh, we're part of the team. We're going to work with the owners and the architect to define all the finishes, to bit cost this thing out, to work through the design process, get this thing. Basically, it's, it's, it's adding us to the team, enabling us to be able to uh, do the work that's necessary up front to move the project to the construction phase. Once the construction starts, the first after the first month's work that's c- completed, it's shown as a credit on the first invoice uh, from us. And it, I, I guess it's just a way of, of ensuring that we can put aside a, a spot in our, in our schedule and that everybody's serious about going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the event that the project does not happen, for one reason or another, at that point, that the deposit is non-refundable. So we keep that in base. Essentially, pays for the time. Well, it pays for part of the time that we put in through the pre-construction end of it, mm-hmm. getting this thing to go to to the build. Yeah, it seems like pretty good insurance. If someone's talking about building a half million dollar or more house, it seems like a um, a pretty good thing to uh, to invest in to know that you can afford to build the house for sure. How about, how, about, how about cash on hand in terms of contingencies? This is something that we've had come up quite a few times with people. Um, it seems to be that there's some specific things that sometimes the construction lenders don't like to lend on. Um, so we, we advise the clients often to say, you know, there's, you know, I don't, and I, and I guess I'll preface it like this. I don't care how much money you have. Usually building a house pushes you to the edge of it um, at some level. So I always encourage people to, 
to understand that um, windows, cabinets, um, anything custom like that often takes a pretty good size deposit. Um, so I encourage them to have some money on hand to, to deal with some of those deposits because I've run into quite a few situations where, um, you know, people have dumped all their money into this construction project and the lender doesn't want to, um, or the lender doesn't want to advance money for, uh, you know, 50% of the cabinets. Maybe you could talk through that process a little bit. Well, I mean, I, I guess just with the, the same thing we're talking about of going through the process and finding the builder you want to work with. I think the same holds true for finding the lender that that's most willing to work with what your parameters are. If it's a case where, yeah, agreed, having a fair amount of capital on hand to pay for the deposits and pre-buy the lumber like we were talking about earlier, that definitely has its advantages. Mm -hmm. But I have worked with lenders on jobs where that is part of their process and that's part of their their program is they are willing to pay for upfront deposits and things that need to be bought for the project so you know that that is lender specific and that would be a, a very important question to be asking your lender before you decide on on who to who to use for your financing and probably really folding the builder into that too, because I know that I've seen, I also see it a couple of different ways. I know that some of the projects we worked on in the East, I see a little bit different. Um, they pay by performance once it's completed. Um, like they won't pay for any framing until all the framing is done. And I know that out here, um, usually it seems like, you know, there's a draw against that line item um, and you get paid for the amount that's been, the percentage that's been completed over that month. Is that generally how you guys do it? Yeah, that's generally when when construction when a lender's involved. That's typically how it's done. Uh, the progress that's that's completed during a month of work, usually the the uh, inspectors come out on a monthly basis, and yeah, they'll pay for percentage complete on a line item. But again, on on lenders that we have worked with, they 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 have understood that certain products need deposits, and you know it, it's. It's just a matter of, of deciding which lender is going to work with you the best. Yeah. So for the people out there listening, yeah, part of the process really is that once once a builder like Trevin makes a draw, um, submits for a draw every month, they do send the bank will send out an inspector and they'll say uh, this much materials here, this much labor is done, and that's really important um, for you guys uh, that are having the house built so that you know that. Um, Basically, you're paying for what's been done, and, and neither the builder's ahead of you nor are you ahead of the builder in terms of in terms of finances on the job. Um, and I guess maybe uh, you know during the recession, we had a couple of these things come up too, where the um, where around lien releases. I, I wonder if that's something um, I, that always seems to take people by. Sometimes people will get a copy of a lien release and they'll freak out. And um, maybe you could speak to a little bit how that works and why that's important for the consumer as well. Uh, well, it's a it's a process that we've incorporated in our monthly processing, and essentially what it is 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 any supplier or subcontractor that supplies anything for the house, they send out notices of right to lien to the owners, which is basically saying that okay, we've we're started we've started to uh, provide labor or uh, products or services on this project. Uh, 
and by sending this, basically, it's a notice saying, okay, we pr- we've provided this. If we don't get paid, we have the right to put a lien on your house, which uh, when it comes certified mail and it's something that's required by law for all these these suppliers and subcontractors to do in order to, ha- I guess, have recourse if they don't get paid for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I guess in a, in a worst case scenario, so you pay your builder X amount of money on a monthly basis and just having assurance that the, the money that you paid your contractor is going to where it actually needs to go to the, to where it is owed on that project. Right. Uh, so on a monthly basis, one, one big thing, and that's another question to ask when you're interviewing builders is, is how you deal with lien releases. And, and personally, uh, how we deal with it is on a monthly basis, we'll provide uh, an itemization of every place, every supplier or subcontractor that we that has provided any that has sent out an invoice to us on your for your specific project uh so we send out a bill itemizing this okay we have suppliers and subcontractors here that we are billing you for uh what we do is we send out a lien release to all of the suppliers and subcontractors subcontractors basically saying Okay, we've uh, in the, the subcontractor signs it and sends it back to us, saying, "Okay, for up to this date, we have been paid in full for the amount of work that's been put into this project, mm-hmm. and it's been signed." And at that point, we collect all those, we send them to our owners on a monthly basis. So, essentially, it's assuring that the money that you pay to your contractor is actually going to the subs and the suppliers that have a right to lien. On your property and it assures that there will be no liens put on your property and at the end of the project there'll be a final lien release basically saying okay this project's complete i've supplied x amount for your project we release all rights to lien we've been paid in full and that's just some assurance and it's and it's it takes a fair amount of time on a monthly basis but as far as from a contractor standpoint it, it's just good business and it assures that you're not the contractor is not using your money to pay fund other projects or, <laughs> or taking it or whatnot. Cause you, th- it's your only assurance that your money is going where it needs to go. Yeah, exactly. Well, Trevor, this has been great today. I appreciate uh, taking the time out of your day and doing this and um, maybe we can do it again. I got a couple other ideas. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks okay. for having me, Christian. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Trevor.